All right, so we're back. Finally, 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 finally. We got the NAR Part 3 coming up on deck. So you've heard the theology. You've heard who the people are. And now you're going to hear from the people themselves, the men themselves. So buckle up, strap oh, in. <laughs> it's um, it, This will be the bumpiest of rides. You will experience turbulence. So, ladies and gentlemen, please keep your hands and arms inside the vehicle at all times. And when you see the seatbelt light, come on, please stay seated until the remainder of your ride is over. How was that? Was that pretty good? Yeah. Cool. It is okay to cry, too. Yes. Yeah. It will be It will be a cry episode. But in all seriousness, this is our NAR Part 3. So, we've done three-part series. I promise we didn't copy apologia either they they kind of copied us we started first yeah if you <laughs> if you dated we for sure started first um the move of the spirit started in las vegas and has moved down south that just kind of makes the most logical yeah. sense so um yeah so this is going to be part three so if you guys haven't listened to the first two parts i recommend you go back so we this is the warcast the official podcast of Warcry media you guys can go on to warcrymedia.com. You can check out the NAR part one and part two. I would highly recommend you listen to those. Those will give you um, kind of the backdrop. If you jump into this one today, you might be you might be kind of lost or you might not really understand um, why we're playing these clips. But um, today on part three, what we wanted to do um, in where we ended off with part two is we had talked about the theology we introduced what the NAR is, uh, the men who are involved in it, and we actually wanted to play clips directly from these men. And part of the reason being, and Dave has commented on this. Oh, by the way, Dave's in studio with me. This is this is Dave Shoemaker, everybody. Dave Shoemaker. <laughs> um, Hello. I got a lot of good comments about how funny it was I called you Shoemaker. Like a lot of comments. <laughs> so... Um, that was that was totally well. That was like take four. So we just had to roll with the punches. I'm used to it by now. <laughs> so uh, Dave had commented on those uh, last two that one of the hardest things to do uh, when when talking about uh, the NAR, especially if you're trying to talk with someone who's either involved or sympathetic towards the NAR, is it often it doesn't matter how much. Um, you can criticize or throw Bible verses at them. Um, there is a spirit of just hardness toward hearing anything that would be in conflict with um, the NAR and churches involved with it. And so, you know, we, we both thought we'd have to eventually get here anyway. So today's going to, we just want to mark and we want to roll through a bunch of clips that we've compiled together, and this is by no means exhaustive, and this is by no means um, stuff I pulled up originally. This is these are clips you can go find anywhere on the internet, YouTube, on Bethel's own YouTube page, all these different things. So, what we want to do is walk through several of these, and, and these won't even cover everybody we listed before, but these are going to cover several major players um, within the within the NAR, both older and younger. And I think the reason that's going to be important as we move on through this is you'll hear us move from guys like Mike Bickle and and um, and um, what's his name, Mike Bickle, Bill Johnson. I almost said uh, I almost said Todd Bickle. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been off. 
Um, we're going to move from those guys who are kind of like the senior vets of the NAR and then kind of move into some of the younger guys like Todd White and Todd Bentley, who, um, as you'll hear later, are be calling the new breed. Uh, these these are the second wave and the, the new generation of NAR sponsors. So we're just going to jump right into these clips. Um, so, you know, if you are listening, you know, if all the joking aside, if you're listening to this and you know somebody who's in the NAR, or if you have been a part of it before or sympathetic to it, we just ask, just just listen to this with an open mind. Just hear out, not simply what we have to say, but just what these men say. And then ask yourself if that is what the Bible teaches. Because ultimately what we want you to have to grapple with, to wrestle with, is, is this biblical? We don't want you to ask the question, if this feels right to me. Or if this is in if this is in tune with what I with what I feel is a move of the spirit, uh, you need to ask: Is this in tune with the Bible? Is this compatible with Scripture? Is this what Jesus taught? And I think as we move through here, you're going to be really challenged to say that these things are. So we're going to start with first couple clips, and uh, you may not think these first couple clips are too crazy. Um, but there's a there's a reason to it. So this these first couple of clips are from um, Mike Bickle, who's a uh, pretty well known guy um, among NAR churches and uh, prophets and apostles, and he's going to uh, uh, give us some glimpses into his theology and and I think kind of highlight um, what we're talking about here. So this this first clip is going to be coming from Mike Bickle. Does God speak today? And if so, how can I hear His voice? Yeah, I, God speaks in so many ways today. Uh, I mean, obviously, the number one way he speaks is by the Bible. We read the Bible, we feel inspired. We read it, and sometimes the Holy Spirit will light it, in, I mean, uh, highlight it just by you're reading the verse, and it just kind of has your attention in a way the other ones didn't. That's When he highlights it, or we feel inspired, or we have an impression from the written Word of God, that's God speaking to us. That's the- so that sounds super biblical, right? Right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I was, I'm glad I played this one first because here, here's here's kind of the draw in the seduction of all of this. Um, if you were to sit down and probably ask any of these guys face to face, they know they know they're in an interview. They know they're being asked about Bible stuff. They're probably going to give you Bible answers to some extent. So if you ask Mike Bickle, how does God speak to us? Well, he he's not going to go off the deep end and and start. Um, going into prayer and, and prophesying and all these different things, he's going to he's going to say and act as if the Bible is the one that that speaks. And so, um, I, I wanted to play that because I think it's important. A lot of the times we think that deception or um, error is just blatant, like it just jumps out at you, and often it's not. It's it's subtle, it's seducing, it's light or it's darkness dressed up as light. Uh, and I, I definitely think that's what you have with uh, Mike Bickle. And as he goes on, I think you'll see that the Bible, while it can speak to you, that God can speak to you through the Bible, it's really not primary, and it's really not the most important thing. That's fantastic. Another way God speaks to us, I mean, I could list 10 or 12 ways, so there's lots of ways. He gives us impressions. They're subtle, faint impressions. Now, you don't risk your whole life on them. You don't say, thus says the Lord, but they're like little nudges and divine hints, and you kind of are more aware. I get an impression. I'll go, you know, maybe I get an impression, something that might affect your life. 
And I might, not, I might say, John, I just had this impression. What do you think? I don't come and say, thus says the Lord, you must. Or I won't even tell you I have it. And all of a sudden you say something. And I go, so we've, me and you have talked about this before. And, you know, you hear this all the time from people, whether you're arguing, um, you know, God speaking through like prophetically or anything. And that's not the debate we're here to discuss today. But it is interesting that if you do, you know, the logic is if you if you actually did hear God speak to you, that it actually would carry the weight that he say it doesn't carry. That if, it, that yeah. if the Lord did speak to you, you would actually have to say, well, thus says the Lord. Yeah, and that's how they kind of get around it is it's a, just a gentle nudge or you get a feeling or... But I mean, even within that, that he's might talk about more, I think, ways, but he says, he says there's 10 to 12 ways that God speaks to you. And I mean, that's, so the first one we already see that he lists is completely subjective that maybe I got a nudge. Maybe I didn't, maybe you feel the same thing I do. Maybe you don't. I tell you, maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. And then I mean, out of Mike Bickle's own mouth, he says that 80% of the prophecies and, and things they get from the Spirit at his own place, IHOP, are false. And so it's like, okay, he says there's 10 to 12 ways the Lord speaks. 80% of them are wrong or false. I mean, I just, I don't, so most of them are wrong and most of them are subjective. And I, I just don't get how you can build your theology on something like that. I mean, you're most of the time what you feel it's wrong. I mean, that seems like you should stick with the one thing that's always right. The Bible, you know, it's I don't get why we say most of this is wrong, but let's just keep going with it anyways. While we have the thing that's never wrong sitting right there collecting dust. And you see that when these guys preach or teach They'll have the Bible, Bill Johnson, when he teaches, they'll have the Bible sitting there open on the pulpit, but they walk in circles around the pulpit or stand in front of it talking about subjective dreams Mm -hmm. and feelings and nudges, just like he said right there, that are statistically speaking from their own mouth going to be wrong. While the one thing that's black and white written correctly, they don't even, they maybe read a verse from it and then don't go back to it the rest of the time. Yeah, when you end up doing the math, I mean, (laughs) if you're just number crunching, it's like, well, do you actually have the, do you actually have a word from the Lord? Because there actually seems to be no ground or confidence to say, well, this actually for sure is every single time. And what's funny about this too is Mike Bickle, I think in this video, he's trying to be honest as to appear open, you know, not to appear too, like he's way out there. But the problem is they don't act like that if you attend their churches. Uh, like if you attend, if you attend Bethel School of Ministry, like I, I would definitely highlight um, listening to Apologia's three-part series they did on Bethel. It's a little bit more focused than ours. Is ours is covering up the broad stream of the NAR, and the the girl that they interview who came out of that school talks about how when you speak down on a teacher or the school you're really attacking God's prophets and God's apostles and those whom the spirit speaks to. So it's like, okay, you can say that you don't, you don't bet your life on it and you know, you're not going to throw everything you have on a word, 
but you can get thrown out of their school if you do question it. Mm-hmm. And so that's just the point is, well, what, which one is it? Do you really have a word from the Lord that says, if I don't obey this or hear this or accept it, I'm in sin and disobeying God? Or am, am I really just, is it like a fortune cookie? I, if I don't like what is said, I can kind of just, you know, toss it in the trash. And so, well, I think, and I feel like they should predicate it too with, Hey, this is most likely wrong, but I think you should take a left on Pecos instead of a right. But 80% chance that that's wrong. You know, I mean, that, but they don't treat it like that. They treat it like, hey, God told me that you're supposed to buy chicken for dinner. Uh, and then you get to the store and they're out of chicken completely or whatever. You know, it's like yeah. a, something, it's always something that has either we don't need. I mean, the thing that we see is, if there is going to be that 10 to 12 ways God's going to speak and it's extra biblical and they're they're giving you something, it's something that you don't actually need for life and godliness or it actually is something that fits into the Bible, which means we can get it from the Bible so we don't need it extra and outside of the Bible. So it's yeah. like always this thing of either it's completely wrong and has nothing to do with anything or you could have read the Bible and got that same thing. But instead of doing the diligence and spending the time to wake up early or stay up late or or fight to know God's word, you can actually just get it this other way of like these subjective feelings. So, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, that appeals to us, us with small children and full-time jobs that mm-hmm. instead of fighting to wake up early and be tired because we're trying to spend time in the word, we can just walk around and get these subjective nudges from the Holy Spirit. I mean, that sounds appealing to to people. And in our day and age, we say, oh, we're so busy. We have so much to do. And I mean, to an extent, that's true. So to not have to spend hours every day striving to learn God's word so that we can walk in the spirit, following the spirit. Instead, we can just sleep in two hours later and get these feelings from the Holy Spirit. Like, that that sounds nice yeah. to people, you know? Yeah, there, there is. There's a drawn attraction with it. And I think part of it, too, is it's, you know, it, it's an empowering feeling. It's knowing God has said something specifically to me that he has a word for me. And all the while, you really don't have a word from God. You actually have no basis to say, I know this is a word from God, uh, and unless it can sit right with me or... If um, I can somehow make it to be true instead of going, like you said, to the the dust collected Bible mm-hmm. and knowing that you can wake up every morning, even in, in, even in your sleep and even in uh, the busyness of your life and knowing that you have a word from God. So I think this is, that's a good clip to play because I think that's part of this. This is part of the seduction. Oh yeah. Yeah. Of course the Bible, Bible, but there's more, mm-hmm. you know, and you're going to get more. I go, amazing. I had this idea. I didn't even know it was from the Lord. But the fact that you have said it, and I had it before you said it about you, I am now more alert. Not sure it was God, but more alert. And I let the Lord confirm it. So that's another way. And there's a number of other ways as well. There's dreams, but lots of dreams that a man of God that really hears from God in dreams, a lot of his dreams won't be from God. They'll just be human process, just just his own soul. So you got to be careful with dreams. Dreams can burn you. There could be audible voice of, of the Lord. You know, I think that would be extremely rare. That that can happen. That's very, very rare. That's I've heard the audible voice of the Lord back in 1984. I heard it crystal clear. I mean, wide awake. 
Well, since 84, I haven't heard it since. <laughs> it's been 30 years, but I'm waiting. <laughs> I'd love to hear it again, you know. And, and uh, you know, there's other ways. An angelic, uh, an angel could appear. I've seen an angel before. I wish I would see him more. I've seen it, you know, a time or two in my life in 35 years of ministry. And, and so just, just hear the way he's describing these things is exactly how the way you actually just described it. If you were to add these up, really run, run them through, this is no, this is no assurance, nothing to bank on. It's like, well, a voice could be, but don't get, you don't want to get burned. You don't want to. Be careful with the dreams. You might get burned by the dream, too. I've seen angels before. Angels, yes, angels, but I haven't seen one in a very long time. I heard God speak, 1984. Haven't heard him in 30 years. It's like, well, do you ever hear from God then? It's, man, this, there's there's just no grounding to know you can, you know, we can actually say this confidently, that we hear God speak to us every day because we actually believe that the Bible is God's word, that it's living. So I can hear God speak to me every day. We don't, we don't need this. We don't need these men. We don't need these ideas. We don't need to set our hopes and, and well, dreams, no pun intended. We don't need to set our dreams on these things. We don't have to look towards dreams and audible voices and angelic visits and all of these different things that the Bible does not call you to, not once calls you to, to know that you can be known by God and that God can be known to you. And this kind of just hearing stuff like that. I mean, if you just think, you know, obviously we don't agree with the theology. We've covered that. But if you're thinking even pastorally, imagine you're coming in like, I mean, we still come in, have, have kids and try to do, you know, a full-time job and all those things and see how great life is every single day. And you're going to know, that this is not going to be what carries you over those years. It's not. This kind of stuff is not going to carry you through life. That would that would offer me zero assurance and desire to want to show up to church or to fellowship with people or anything. If if I'm just like, well, I haven't really heard God speak. I haven't had a visit. Haven't had a haven't had a word. My dreams are super weird. Don't know if that's God speaking to me. I mean, there's just no assurance there. There's just none. Well, the other thing we look at too is we say that. I mean, the first couple podcasts, we argued that we need a standard of truth to compare things to. Just like if you need to measure something, you need a unit of measurement to know how long something is. Well, you need a a measurement to see what's true or not. And we argued that we would use the Bible for that. So when you start speaking of, I heard an audible voice and I heard the audible voice of God actually says, and then I've seen angels a few times. And it was really cool, and I want to see more angels, and that was awesome. And But if we go to the Bible, where do we ever see anywhere in the entire scriptures as somebody seeing an angel and it being this cool, hip thing that was really awesome, and I hope I do it again? It was like they fall on their face as though they're dead. They fear. They're in mm. great fear. The angels, the very first thing every angel says to everybody it appears to in the scripture is do not fear, which means they are shaking in fear. <laughs> so yeah. to speak about it like it's, oh, yeah, I hung out with an angel this one time. It was awesome. I hope I hang out with them again. You don't see Mary or Zechariah saying, 
uh, you know, popping out from where they saw the angel. Dude, there was this awesome angel there, and we're. I hope we get to hang out again one day. No, it was they were in fear of that. And when you hear, you see God's audible voice in Scripture, it's never like, man, I heard God's audible voice this one time, 84, I was wearing a black blazer. Man, I can't wait to hear that voice again. It was the same thing. It was fear mm-hmm. that the God of the universe is speaking to you, or the God of the universe has sent one of his ministers of light to you to to speak yeah. to you never this flippant it was cool i got to hang out with them i hope i do it again and so even just the way they speak of it lets you know that if we are to compare things to scripture he even says himself that we should take what happens and we should see if it matches scripture that's what they'll even say but then they take their supposed experience with angels and it doesn't even come close to scripture at all. Yeah. And then they still say, oh, well, no, it's a real thing. It happens that way. Or God's audible voice. Let's look at Moses on top of the mountain on Mount Sinai and see if that's in comparison to when they hear the audible voice of God. Yeah. Because it doesn't, it obviously doesn't match up, but yet they keep the experience and throw away the biblical account. Yeah. You know, so. And. And, and and when you're listening to guys like this, think how consistent they are in this. Because when when you get away from the questions, you know when when someone's put in front of a camera, they're going to answer the right way, right? They're going to be politically correct. This is in my this is like Mike Bickle being a politician and trying to be politically correct in the moment, and to not sound too extreme. But then watch services, watch watch the clips of these you know so called revivals and moves of the spirit, and and see how consistent he is on this. See what really holds weight. In these men's ministries, it, it's not the Bible. You'll never see it being the Bible. And, uh, you know, I think of two occasions, you know, and I think, wow, they're very brief, but they just, you know, they shook me, you know, and that's exciting. You know, like, wow, you know, I, I want that to happen again. <laughs> and it doesn't, you know, and 10, 20 years go by and some little brief moment happens, something unusual happens. So I think those are ways and there's other ways besides. A lot of the critics would, would say there's a bunch of platform ministries that speak out prophecies in this nation and yet those things don't come to pass. What should our approach be to be to that? Because should there be any discipline if, if someone makes a big prophecy and then it doesn't come to pass? I think if a prophecy is spoken publicly or written or released publicly, because in the internet world you can write it or whatever, if whatever degree it's proclaimed at to the best of your ability, because in the globalization internet world, it's hard to, you know, everywhere your word goes, you can't necessarily follow it. But to the best of your ability, within reason, whatever degree that you've ex- you've you've given the word, if the word ends up false or wrong, let's call it wrong. False sounds like you got a demon or something, you know, a false word. That means like the brother's got horns, you know, he missed it. He just missed it. I think that if you miss it, you sh- you must have the integrity to acknowledge it. That was super ironic. Him saying that you almost you want to laugh, but then you don't because you you know that if he's saying that there's there's a truth to that, and you don't want to like laugh at that. But I mean, think about it. He he's going to even bring up the idea. Okay, we covered this in 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 part two. A false prophecy, even even if it is brought on by many miraculous works, if it leads you to a different God, you were not to follow that prophet. So the, even, so the idea being if, if the prophecy is wrong or if it leads you after different gods, what were you supposed to do with the prophet? You were supposed to stone them. You were supposed to cast out 
that the the evil person from among you. You weren't. You're supposed to have nothing to do with them. So this idea that, well, you know, if if you send it out on the internet or if you write it down or whatever, you know, all this nonsense. If you write it down, you just really need to be sure that if it's not correct, that you do your due diligence to send out a uh, press release that you were wrong, <laughs> and then try again. And then, but keep trying, keep trying. You know, just just keep. Keep um, keep throwing them out there until you eventually get it right, and then you could say, "Huh, I got it." You know, uh, it's just think about that because most Christians would say, you know, if someone keeps going to prophesy and say, "This is of the Lord," "This is of the Lord," "This is of the Lord," and it's not of the Lord. I mean, there there's some weight to him saying, "Well, we don't want to say that brother's demonic or something," but <laughs> isn't that what we would say? Um, you know, isn't that what we would have to conclude to some sense? I know one would be saying, you're the devil incarnate, but you would have to be saying, you keep saying you're speaking in the name of the Lord, but in the Old Testament to say you spoke in the name of the Lord, but you didn't, meant you were speaking in someone else's name. That you were you were speaking under the influence of, a, of another God. Um, because the, the result of that prophecy, the result of that prophet speaking in someone else's name, not speaking on account of the Lord, was because it was leading them after other gods. It wasn't just some nebby, you know, they weren't leading, led off into a vacuum. Um, they weren't led off to, to nowhere or somewhere neutral. They were being led off to something else. And so that's just, that's just the point. Where are you being led off to? If all these prophecies are wrong, well, obviously different gods. And so you would have to conclude then, well, maybe this, maybe there is something demonic behind this. If, if you're throwing this many prophecies out there and you're wrong, because the standard's always been, one and done. <laughs> well, the interesting thing too is how he changes. He at first he says false, and he's like, "Oh, we don't want to say false. We just want to say wrong, <laughs> because false Catches makes himself. It, false makes it sound like what it really is. False prophecies. I mean, that's yeah. just the way they cleverly switch little words around. So, because if we say false, then it means he's a false prophet, which that's exactly what he is biblically. So we have to change the word and say, oh, well, he just goofed up a little bit or he just he messed goofed. up. He slipped. He 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 missed a little bit right there. So we can kind of take the eraser and erase that and then he'll try again and uh, we'll keep removing the ones that he's wrong on and we'll leave mm. up the ones that he's right on. And, and then if many of them, what they do, if you watch it enough of it, the ones that they are wrong on, then they'll say, Oh, well, I actually said, if this happens, then that would happen. So yeah. I technically wasn't wrong. And it's, uh, anything they can do to not be exposed for what they really are, which is false prophets. I mean, that's what happens when you give false prophecies, you are a false prophet by definition. So yeah. to somehow remove that, oh, well, we don't want to say that because then people will know that they are false prophets and they'll stop listening to them completely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I, he'll kind of admit that's part of scripture's guidelines too, as, as he continues. And within reason, I don't mean you spend a million dollars and go on an ad campaign to correct it to the whole world. I don't mean you, you put that kind of energy. But I think you get on the Internet or you get on the same platform, you know, and you're being filmed on the Internet and you say, I blew it. And it may not get to everybody who heard the wrong word, but it's out there. I think we have to do that. We absolutely have to do that. And I think that prophetic people that don't do that, it just... It's not good, you know, and I will, I've, I listen to people who, who have said wrong things and I still am open to hear them. I don't write them off because they said something wrong because in the old Testament, the idea is that if you said it wrong once you're false 
And that's an Old Testament, that's true. But in the Old Testament, there were a very small amount of prophets in the whole world. And they're all in Israel. There's a real, for the whole globe, they're a very small number. And they heard direct audible voice words or open visions or an angel came, something like that. But in the New Testament, they, uh, we prophesy by faith. There's impressions, not only by faith, but there's impressions. That's why 1 Corinthians 14 says the prophets have to judge and discern each other. You didn't discern a prophet in the Old Testament. He's right or wrong or you stoned him. But in the New Testament, we prophesy by faith, it says in Romans 12, 3 and 1 Corinthians 14, we judge one another. And the reason we judge one another, because there are some things said wrong. So that idea is false. So if you've listened to the last couple parts that we've talked about, you know that in the Old Testament... The, even even the the community in the Old Testament was to discern the prophecy being given. So this idea that in the Old Testament, well, it's just spoken, it's done, because it's either right or wrong. But in the New, you know, it's by faith, and so there has to be this process of discerning, and there could be some error and some truth mixed in there. It's just false. I mean, he doesn't give any scripture for it, because there is no scripture for it. Um, the New Testament assumes the Old Testament um, ideal of prophecy and assumes the same standard, that you are not to listen to somebody um, if, if they give a false prophecy and you have nothing to do with them. But the, the idea that you didn't discern in the Old Testament, but you do in the New, is also false, because if someone gave a false prophecy, you were to stone them, which means you had to discern whether or not it was true or not. That, that It just begs the question. And then also, if it led you off to different gods, you would have to evaluate that and discern that. Is this leading us to Yahweh, or is this leading us off to foreign gods and to different gods? That's, I mean, so just if you're just going to run run it real real quick, then you know that it's just not the case. It's just it's just false. This is just a way to set up this false dichotomy of well, the Old Testament was this way, but the New Testament is this way. When the Bible actually gives no no uh, credence for that, it's the same old and new, uh, and and it's the same God in old and new, and it's the same standard old and new. And there, there is always supposed to be discernment. And if that person is wrong, they're wrong. And they're supposed to be cast off and not to be listened to again. But a guy or a gal that will admit it and live under that restraint and live with that, with that as part of their testimony, I can hear a guy, you know, miss it and still give me something. I still want it to be confirmed outside of that guy without him having any, uh, I mean, outside of his ability to make it be confirmed, you know, by... The Lord tells me in some other way and confirms, or or I get it first and the brother tells me something nobody knew. You know, I, I appreciate that. So I think you, you got to clean it up when you blow it. And, and we've tried to do that over the years. We've had some different things that have said over 30 years, and we've put out statements and said, this was wrong. And you know what? We're not quitting. But the guy said it was wrong. It's not a big deal as long as we own it. Now, we don't want to be frivolous about it, saying it's not a big deal. But, I mean, it's not a game breaker. You're not out of the ministry. By the Bible standards, you are. And by now Mike Bickle's own admission, he's a false prophet. And so his ministry is actually marked by false prophecy. And you shouldn't listen to them. By a biblical standard, you should not do that. Now, if you end up not doing that, if you follow Mike Bickle, you still listen to Mike Bickle, just know, if you're comparing this to Scripture, you, you're not following Scripture at this point. You're following Mike Bickle and what he has to say about these things. But the Bible is clear. If Mike Bickle has spoken to say, thus says the Lord, or he has 
given um, that weight to something he has spoken or someone in his ministry and it's been wrong and they've done nothing about it besides saying, yeah, we released a little statement saying we were wrong. Um, they have shown themselves to be false prophets and not to be false. They, they shouldn't. And so that's just, that's very conclusive that right there, boom. Um, uh, Mike Bickle is um, not qualified uh, to be, and he's actually a false prophet. He's not just wrong. Like you said, he's, um, he's a false prophet. So, um, I'm going to try to move on to the next clip. Uh, I'm going to start this one. So, uh, I'm actually going to go over a couple, I'm um, just for time's sake. Um, there was a couple of other ones, but I don't think they're as important. I'm going to jump now to, uh, this section of Mike Bickle. This, so now you're going to catch Mike Bickle, not in front of, you know, the cameras trying to give the right answer. Now you're going to catch Mike Bickle at a 2017 Bethel church, um, a conference, I believe where he's given a message and you'll kind of get to hear uh, how this goes for Mike Bickle. So now you get to hear the, hear him on stage kind of in person doing this and not necessarily in front of the camera, uh, trying to give the politically correct answer. Wait a second, Bill, 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 Bill Johnson. I love this guy so much. He's been one of my truly greatest encouragements as a, as a fellow leader in the body of Christ. Holy Spirit, we just ask you right now just to manifest your glory in a greater measure. We know you've been here the whole time. We ask for a greater demonstration of your glory on minds and bodies right now. I rushed too fast over that nightmare thing. The Lord's bringing that up to me again. If you are being assaulted with nightmares, I want others to pray with you. And you want prayer, raise your hand up. Raise your hand up. And just the folks around, just go ahead and just look around and uh, just lay your hand on them real gentle and, and I'll pray and you can pray as well. But Father, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over this torment that's coming to them in the night upon their children. Some of you, you have grandchildren that are being struggling with nightmares as well. Now if that's you, you raise your hand too. You have children or grandchildren. In the name of Jesus, I speak liberty over them, whether they're believers or not. We're taking our position of before your throne, and we're speaking peace over their minds right now. I speak to the storm, peace be still. So now if you're actually putting Mike Bickle to the test, hear the way he's talking, especially with the last thing. I, I say to the storm, peace be still. This is the same words of Jesus when he's out with his disciples. And, he's, and he speaks to the, the wind and the waves to be still. So understand that Mike Bickle is getting up in front of this crowd and he's calling upon what he thinks is his authority to speak over these things. That he can have authority over people's dreams. That he can have authority over people's nightmares. And he can have authority over the storms in people's lives. So let's run the logic on this. If these people go home and they have the same dreams and the same nightmares and the same storms, then Mike Bickle would be, in essence, prophesying falsely. He would be claiming an authority over these things in God's name, in Christ's name, in the Spirit's name, falsely, saying these things are to go away because he's been given authority to speak over them. That's just the logic of it. I mean, I've had this happen in my life. I was out here at a church here in Las Vegas, and... I, uh, we were, we were in this, you know, Wednesday night, you know, youth thing, and they were, you know, prophesying and, and doing the whole thing. 
And then the guy said, you know, if there's, I feel like there's just somebody here who's struggled with, you know, nosebleeds. And I'm like, well, that's me, bro. I've had nosebleeds since, you know, little kid. I've had them really bad too. And so I, I, he's like looking for someone, you know, probably hoping, I hope, I, I hope there's someone here who's going to raise their hand. And of course I'm like right up front. I like slowly raise my hand and, you know, they rush me up there and, they start putting hands on me and praying over me, but then they prayed in the authority of Jesus that I would no longer have nosebleeds. And then later that week, I had a nosebleed. Uh, so, point in case being, when when they're saying stuff like this, understand the authority that they're saying it by, and then the name that they're actually blaspheming by doing so. They're claiming to have an authority by God to be able to do these things, and then when they don't come about, they're speaking falsely in God's name. That's exactly what they're doing. And this is just evidence that this is Mike Bickle showing you where his true loyalty and authority lies. It's in this idea that he has the the freedom and the power to speak over these things. But even it's easy for them to get out of it too, though, because when your nosebleed continues, they just simply tell you that it's because you didn't have the right faith or you didn't have enough faith. And that's a regular teaching in the NAR is, Listen, we're we're praying for healing over this, but if it doesn't happen, it's because you didn't have enough faith, mm-hmm. not because we're false. Yeah. You know, so the blame is always placed on the one that's hurting, not the one that's doing the hurting to people. Yeah. So it's there's always an a there's always going to be an escape hatch or a side door that you can sneak out of and get out of trouble with it. Yeah, I'm sure if you've been in it long enough, you've probably heard something like that, to which I want you to ask yourself the question. Why not flip the question on them and say, well, maybe you actually don't have the authority that you claim to have. Or you didn't have enough faith when you prayed for me. Yeah. I mean, because you see Jesus healing people that didn't even know who he was. I mean, the guy that was sitting at the well and they ask him, who healed you? Oh, uh, uh, or the blind guy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know who it was. So how does he have, how was it up to him to have enough faith to be healed if he didn't even know who it was that healed him? Yeah. And then he says, you know, do you believe in the son of man? Well, who is the son of man that I may believe in him? I am him, you know? And so to say things like that is once again, not lining with the Bible, not lining with the ruler that we have to measure things by. Yeah. And uh, so that's, that's the end of our Mike Bickle. Um, so Mike Bickle is, is more of, he's a seasoned vet, I would say. Um, if, if Bill Johnson's his homeboy, they're, um, they're kind of the seasoned vets in this. So next up on the lineup is Todd White. We've talked about Todd White before. But in a, real quick, just another reason why yeah. we kind of discussed before how that clip sounds more normal. Um, and we didn't go right into the some of the real kooky stuff that you hear and doing you know stuff that hopefully... Some people have at least the slightest bit of discernment to hear and say, wow, that's pretty extreme. But that Mike Bickle stuff, its that's the type of stuff that lures people in that do have at least a little bit of biblical knowledge. And they're not going to jump right into somebody right. like Todd Bentley you know, baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son, and bam, in his and, boot, <laughs> yeah, and kicking people in the stomach. And, and so that's a, that's a little... You know, somebody who has a little bit of Bible knowledge, seeing that is going to immediately say, okay, there's something wrong there. But somebody who listens to Mike Bickle like that, saying those things, they're going to say, okay, maybe this brother, maybe this is a brother. Maybe he's confused on a little bit of things, but you know, that's nothing to divide over. And then we see, which this is a a whole nother topic, but we see 
Francis Chan, how far he's gone into that movement now and, mm. and yoking with those people. It started with him going to a conference with Mike Bickle, with him going to the International House of Prayer and preaching there. And it start, that's how it started, is with somebody who says, yeah, I love the Bible and God speaks through the Bible. And so Francis Chan goes there, hey, this is a brother. He might be confused on some things. He admits people warned him about going there. But listening to some of the stuff he can he he's able to say okay i think mike bickle at least uses the bible at least knows the bible so therefore i can go and be around him and then from there now as they say the camel's nose is under the tent or satan's got his foot in the door and he's able to slip in more and more because it's just like same people who fall away from the faith it's not just you wake up one day after you've been reading the bible every day for two years and say you know what i'm done with jesus i'm gonna go you know get a prostitute and abandon my family It, it doesn't happen that way it starts subtly starts listening to somebody who's not a complete heretic right off the bat or who's super kooky and then from there um you're able to he introduces Francis Chan to somebody else and then they introduce him to someone else and then next thing you know you're hugging Benny Hinn and on your knees praying with Heidi Baker you know it doesn't it doesn't start like that it gets to that point eventually so I mean that's a great example but I mean I think you're making a great point too if this is what it does and you know like I think to to get to your point it 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 is really entry because it what it does is it almost kind of validates the other stuff the crazy stuff to instead, it, it's almost like it does this thing to, it, it's like a discernment, it blocks discernment, because now instead of saying, I know that there's something wrong with that, instead of saying that, it becomes, well, these guys are kind of on the same team. Maybe he's just like, he's a little bit extreme as a brother, but mm-hmm. you know, he, there's always extreme people and there's always, you know, calmer people. And so, and I love him. I love Mike Bickle and he loves him. So therefore I should love him too. And then that guy loves the next guy that's even more extreme. (laughs) So I should, and they all hang out together. And I guess if, the guy I love approves him, then I can approve him too. And exactly. it's just your discernment meter just starts dropping more and more and more and more and more until all of a sudden you're around a group of people that if it would have been straight from nothing to being around them, you would have never, never been there. But now it's been so subtle that yeah, you don't even know how you got there. All of a sudden you're there and people are telling you to get away and you're like, oh, well, I don't know. I mean, I love this guy and he yep. approves him. So, yep. Yeah, that's that's a, and I actually think you're going to see those connections that that you're making as we play this. So this next one, this is Todd White. Todd White is a, a younger uh, guy who's up and coming in the NAR. He's he's becoming a big name, and he's getting the approval of a lot of these older guys in the ministry. He's getting them from Kenneth Copeland. He's getting them from uh, Bill Johnson. He's getting them from guys like Mike Bickle. These guys are all interconnected, and you're going to hear how Todd White and Todd Bentley and some of these younger guys are coming up and they're being called this new breed in the NAR. So we're going to play a couple of clips now from Todd White. We want you to hear the theology coming from Todd White. See, the cross to me isn't the revelation of my sin. The cross is actually the revealing of my value. So something like that. Todd White, I mean, that 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 made the, the headlines as soon as he said that. But just just notice what the gospel has turned into for someone like Todd White. The, the cross is no longer the sign of God's uh, display of his full righteous wrath and judgment upon sin. And it's no longer display of God loving sinners who, while they were in their sin, Christ dying for them so that they could be 
made right with God, have peace with God, uh, be reconciled back to God instead, it's simply a sign of how God, much God loves you as if you were just some, you know, thing to be loved um, with, with no idea and no connection to sin um, with the cross. And so it, if that's Todd's white, if that is his gospel, that's what he sees the cross as. It's not a sign of sin. It's actually a sign of simply love. And Todd White has actually missed the gospel completely. And I have the privilege of introducing one of the amazing fathers in the body of Christ. Actually, he's really special to me. And Kenneth Copeland, the so-called godfather of prosperity gospel. Let's receive our evening offering this evening and uh, give you a chance to raise your income. He's a, a mentor in my life. He's a spiritual father. Money! Come to me! He lives in this home outside Fort Worth, Texas. Shout amen! But it's not just one plane. We found a fleet of planes registered to the church. And you won't catch him waiting in line at the airport because he's got his own. Just for years and years since I've been saved, have just looked at the rock solid ministry of Kenneth Copeland and Gloria Copeland. And you don't have a God in you, you are one. God's reason for creating Adam was his desire to reproduce himself. And Adam is as much like God as you could get. He was not a little like God. He was not almost like God. He was not subordinate to God even. Adam in the Garden of Eden was God manifested in the flesh. You have exactly the same spiritual DNA as Jesus. Glory to God. Hallelujah. You are a twin to the master himself. <laughs> when I read in the Bible where he says, I am, I just smile and say, yes, I am too. I am dangerous. You understand that? Yes, sir, I do. <laughs> I am spiritually lethal, brother. That's right. I'm so glad you're on our team. Man, the irony in that statement at the end of that. So there's, there's some taste of Todd White. There's his gospel. Here's his level of discernment. He thinks Kenneth Copeland is a great brother in the faith who has taught him, who's been a mentor to him, whom he wants to mimic. And you can look into a lot with Kenneth Copeland, but I think you can get just from that clip the kind of man Kenneth Copeland is. He's a, he's a fleecer of God's people. He rips people off for their money by giving them false promises and false hope. And he is one of the fathers of this modern-day a prosperity gospel mixed with the charismatic element in it of sowing, you know, into these ministries and reaping these things and all of these fake miracles and false signs. And it's made him very wealthy and very rich at the expense of other people. And he, he is lethal. You know, he's right. He is very lethal. He is spiritually dangerous because um, if you, if you believe and accept his gospel, and you follow the path of Kenneth Copeland, it's because you're following a path to hell. And that's where Todd White is is going down, and that's where uh, Kenneth Copeland has already gone down. And so that's that's the level of, um, that is the, the level of discernment of, of Todd White. That is his gospel. That is what he wants his ministry to be mimicked by. 
And this is why you should be very afraid of following someone like Todd White and this NAR movement, because here is from Todd White himself um, what he thinks he is in in his own generation. Well, the, real quick, though, to the just the blasphemy. I mean, all the other stuff, you know, Kenneth Copeland just robs people with false hope. The gospel is all about money. I mean, Jesus is not his God. God is not his God. Money is his God and possessions are his God. And he uses the name of Christ to get those things. But the straight out in the open blasphemy without any care in the world about it to say that when when God says, I am, I smile and say, I am too. I mean, that's just... You can't get more blatant blasphemy than that. Yeah. Like, that's why the Jews wanted to stone Jesus, because he said those things claiming to be God, and he is God. And yet Kenneth Copeland says the very same thing. I mean, it's clear, you know, once again, our disregard for the Bible, not seeing the, the utter clear, open, spoken blasphemy of Kenneth Copeland to claim that he is God, that he is a God, he says. And and for for Todd White to say this is a rock solid father in the faith, rock solid ministry, I mean that's I don't get how that you have to be just so hungry for fame and fortune to be willing to yoke yourself with somebody like that and to claim on the air that this is a rock solid brother in the faith with a rock solid ministry. I mean, I just, it's, it's disgusting. It makes you want to throw up the stuff that he says. Mm -hmm. And then to see somebody making claims that he has a rock solid ministry, it's just, it's so out in the open and so blatant that that is unavoidable. That is unacceptable to try to authenticate somebody like that. Yeah. And like you said, it's, it's so out there that for him to say it, it, it's hard to think he would even just be deceived or not know. And so it's like, okay, I think Todd White actually knows what Kenneth Copeland is about and yet he's promoting him. And so he he says he's his father in the faith. I mean, you don't say that somebody's your mentor and your father in the faith and you know nothing nothing. about them. I mean, that makes, he has to know exactly what he's about. So, you know, this isn't just worst case scenario. I think this is the reality that Todd White has bought into this. This is his gospel. This is his good news. This is his Christianity, and it's a false one, and it's one that'll damn people's souls to hell and one um, that will damn them to hell. Back in um, 2008, when Patricia King came to a glory school, and I, I met her for the first time and didn't know her, and I went through the glory school, and it's very biblical, just amazing, just precept upon precept, line upon line. I had no idea what it was, and it was awesome. And uh, she called me out and prophesied over me. And when she did, she prophesied these two words, new breed. And Paul, I would be honored if you would release and pray a blessing of healing revival. So just to give you background on this clip, this is now Todd Bentley. And you're going to hear the same thing that Todd White claimed for himself, that he's the new breed. And so you're going to hear the same thing from Todd Bentley. Bible, just over every hungry heart. If you don't know who Todd Bentley is, he is the dude that likes to kick and punch people in the spirit to where he's hurt people before. 
and soul watching on the television. And they're burning in their hearts right now, Paul. And I know you were with William Branham. I know you were with, you did meetings. You traveled with the greatest healing evangelists of the late 40s and 50s. And those seeds, those healing seeds are in you, Paul. And I believe that you would release a prophetic blessing, a father's blessing, a grandfather's blessing. Because you've carried the word since the 70s. And you delivered the word and for so many years. And something's begun to come to pass. And I would be honored if you would release that. I feel it stirring in my heart, Paul. Father God, in the name of our precious Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you that you've answered my prayer, that you let me live to see tokens of this revival or be involved in it some way and be a participant if possible. And Lord, you have never uh, allowed me to say that I have met the new breed. Uh, absolutely met the new breed. And when you uh, brought uh, Todd, uh, Bentley, and I together, the angel of the Lord said, you found what you're looking for. So, yeah, so you, you got very clear language that Todd Bentley and uh, Todd White are going to be this new breed. They're going to be uh, the ones who are carrying the torch of men like Kenneth Copeland and Mike Bickle and everyone who's been involved in these these waves of these charismatic prosperity gospel waves. They're going to be the torch carriers for this movement to go on into the future, into um, more generations. So I'm going to start um, this next clip. Uh, this one is going to be... So we've we've covered um, a couple of people so far. Next, we're really going to get into um, someone like Bill Johnson, uh, just because Bill Johnson is a huge name. Bethel is a huge, huge church with lots of influence, and their ministry school is reaching thousands upon thousands of people. And so it's important to cover like someone like Bill Johnson. So here's uh, this first clip. Bill Johnson kind of given in his estimation um, what he has been called to do. Everybody has needs to have access to what God is doing, and and that's kind of our mandate. It's just to, is is not to pretend like like uh, that we're the answer because that would be kind of dumb. But we we know the answer. Yeah. So Bill Johnson thinks what's going on in their ministry, what's going on in their their churches, is what needs to get out into the world. Okay. He thinks that's the mandate that they've been called to do. They need to get these things out into the world. The mandate is for them to go and, and to get this to many people as possible, not because they think they got the right answer, um, which is not going to be his tone in this next clip, but is to get this mandate that they have at Bethel out. So now think about the theology of Bill Johnson when you think about this mandate. that he has, This is a clip from a Bill Johnson sermon. Hebrews 1 says, In times past God spoke to us through the prophets. But now he speaks to us through Jesus. What's the point? That message was for then. Jesus is for now. Without that shift, there is a constant reproducing of an anointing and a ministry that is not for today. Yesterday's anointing is like yesterday's manna. And so this ministry of Jesus that dealt with every single person that came to him with affliction or torment, he ministered to them. That's the only 
standard to follow. I refuse to create a theology that allows for sickness. Now, here we got a problem. Only one. It's a small one. The Apostle Paul gives a warning in Galatians, and he says this. He says, if I, and he's the one who brought the gospel to them, he said, if I or even an angel comes to you and preaches to you a different gospel, you're to reject it. That's amazing. An angel shows up, and he brings you a different standard, a different gospel. Rejected. He says, even if I come back to you and I change my mind, don't pay any attention to me. All right? What gospel is it? It's the gospel of Jesus. It's the gospel of the kingdom. <sighs> okay. Let me illustrate. Paul refers to his thorn in the flesh which has been interpreted by many as disease allowed or brought on by God. That's a different gospel. Jesus didn't model it and he didn't teach it. And Paul said, you can't change the standard. <laughs> and it's just... So, I mean, to use Galatians 1 to say that if somebody's sick and that's God is using it for, God is using their glory or their sickness for his glory, that that's a different gospel. I mean, that's insane because then how many people are you going to have to say that are false teachers and that are unsaved that are sick right now and yet God is getting much glory from their sickness if I mean if you watch the film American Gospel the girl in there that is giving glory to God if you look at Johnny Erickson Tada if you look at Justin Peters if you look at these people that are experiencing these diseases and yet giving glory to God and it and leading many 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 people to Christ and for Bill Johnson to stand on a stage and say they are He's saying that they're heretics mm -hmm. and that they're preaching a different gospel, a gospel that cannot save because that's what he says in Galatians is that they bring a different gospel and that gospel cannot save. So he's saying when, when we preach about Christ living a perfect life, dying the death that we deserve on a cross, raising from the dead, that we may believe in him for salvation, that that's a different gospel unless we say that he also came to eradicate all physical disease. I mean, they do this thing where they they highlight the physical and they act like that if you don't have that physical healing that it's that you have a different gospel. I mean, that's just to use Galatians 1 in that way and then to say that even how he starts it that oh, well, that that using Hebrews 1 to say that he used to speak to us through the prophets and now he speaks to us through Jesus Christ. Well, that was for then and this is for now. The whole Old Testament is pointing forward to Christ. Mm -hmm. All the prophets spoke of the coming Messiah to say yeah. that that was for then and this for now shows that he doesn't believe that the Old Testament. I mean, there's even, it sounds like inklings of Andy Stanley talking about unhitch the Old Testament. 
I mean, we see that all these prophets were speaking of Christ coming. And now he's saying, oh, that's old. That's gone. We don't need that. That's the old stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's just there's so much inconsistency in it. And then to to say that that's a different gospel. So anyone who preaches something else, he would be calling them a heretic if you allow for a disease. Yeah. I mean, it's and then not even to mention, I know we talked about it last time, but there's a clip where <laughs> it's it's kind of funny, but it's also sad where he is speaking to the crowd that's in front of him at Bethel. And he's talking about God handing out healings right now. And he, he says, and you can look this up on YouTube. I, it might, I don't know if it's an American gospel. I, maybe. I saw that. Yeah, it was. I yeah, saw that. And, he, and, he, t- and yeah. he talks about, Hey, there's God tells me there's somebody out there with the problem with their eyes. And he goes to put his finger to his eye to show like somebody has a problem with their eyes, their eyes. And he goes to touch his eyes and he accidentally hits his glasses. And then he has to put his fingers underneath (laughs) his glasses to touch his eye because he obviously has a problem with his eyes to where he has to wear glasses. I mean, why, why hasn't his eyesight been healed? It couldn't possibly be because he doesn't have enough faith for his eyes to be healed. So whatever the reason is that, um, that he wears glasses and his wife wears glasses. And now don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not making light of the situation. I'm not mocking the situation, but his wife, Benny having cancer. I mean, his, his wife is fighting cancer right now as we speak. And yet he refuses to have a a theology that allows for sickness. So now what is the reason that, that Benny has cancer? Yeah. Either she's not saved because if you're saved, you're not supposed to be sick. You're supposed to have an unlimited amount of healing coming from the power of God. She even wrote a book recently about communion and how we can release miracles from Jesus in the body and blood as we take communion. And yet is 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 fighting cancer, you know, and using actual means to do that, not just, uh, okay, I have faith, God heal me. I mean, they're not consistent in their own belief. It, when when is when Benny gets cancer, she goes and starts looking for means to be healed from that, whether it be homopathic, whether it be um, other medications. But it, she doesn't just sit in front of the Bethel Church community or false church community and and say, "Okay, we're all going to have enough faith that I'm going to be healed." She's yeah. actually traveling the world right now, trying to get look for healings that that are different than what he's saying um you should have as healing so uh, the blatant inconsistencies the blatant um refusal to uh, be biblical about the issues and then even when it comes up in their own life as a married couple they still just ignore it and and act like it's not actually going on just as he ignores the glasses that are on his own face that block his fingers from getting to his eye to say that God wants to heal someone of some eyesight thing yeah i mean it's complete blindness and and ignoring all of it it's it's like scriptures you know scriptures description scriptures description that's a little phrase is you know, of false teachers is that they go on deceiving and being deceived. That even even these people propagating this stuff are deceived. And so this is said, Bill Johnson can go up there deceiving people with his false gospel and yet himself continually be deceived by it to where, you know, like you, like you highlighted, that is not to highlight in any way, shape, or form that we are glad that his wife has cancer I mean, that's the exact opposite. We don't, we want her to be healed too. 
but the it's just the deception the level of the deception that is in their own life for them to have those inconsistencies is i mean i there's really no words to describe but besides for you to hear it and to think about it that that is that is deception that is deceiving and being deceived so there's there's a flavor of of Bill Johnson. So that first that for the so the first part of the clips we played, those are some of the I want to say the theological groundings. What you're going to hear in the rest of these clips um as we move on toward the end is the craziness. This is going to be the crazy stuff. This is going to be what is the fruit of their ministry? What's the fruit of their theology? What's the fruit of their gospel? What's the fruit of everything that they offer to us? And here's what it sounds like and um this is the part you need to uh buckle up for. <laughs> she wouldn't do it. This is Heidi Baker, by the way. You're welcome. <laughs> okay, help God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so here we go. Shaba. <laughs> I can't, I can't believe this happened again. So that was Heidi Baker. Two things. One, she's drunk in the spirit, apparently, laughing uncontrollably, um, probably on the floor, can't get up. And two, is speaking in tongues by saying the word Shaba. Um, not sure what language that is, but uh, yeah, those are the two things you're encountering right there. Here's some more Heidi Baker. Double it. False. This is this part is not Heidi Baker. Here are Bethel students um, going out into public. This is audio of Bethel students going out into the public and trying to heal people, um, trying to lengthening uh, their legs that are not. Yeah, that's even. actually Todd White right there. Yeah, yeah. The... Double it. Double it. Yeah. Yeah. That's weird. Holy Ghost, I ask you to send your power all the way up his arm as a sign of your love. Thanks, Jesus. Feel that? Oh, my armpit's cold all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, watch, double it. Double it. More. Now, Lord, show him it's not my power, but it's your power. From the top of his head down the soles of his feet, let that power go through his body right now. You feel that? It's weird, man. Learning the language of holy... So... Uh... I mean, we kind of talked about this before, but is that what you see in the Bible? Is that what is that what we see when, I mean, we were kind of, you know, joking around a little bit. It's not a joke, though, but when Peter goes out and, and preaches on Pentecost and the power of the Holy Spirit comes in and uh, people are added to the church, it's not, okay, there you're going to feel a coldness in your armpit. I mean, that's a mocking of the Holy Spirit to say, you're going to feel this subjective feeling. You're going to feel a coldness in your armpit. And when Jesus went out and healed people in the Holy Spirit, when Jesus went out and showed the power of God, that the gospel didn't come to you in word and deed, but in power, was it people saying, oh yeah, I don't know. That's kind of weird, man. That is kind of weird. My armpit's a little cold. Yeah, I mean, how would how does that show the power of God? How does that show the gospel not coming in word and deed, but in power? Yeah, somebody saying it feels a little weird in my armpits, cold. That is a straight mocking of the Holy Ghost. You're going to go out there and and use the who you say is the Holy Spirit to 
make somebody feel a coldness in their armpit. That's just, that's, you know, God, got to be close, if not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. It's a, it, it's the idea of like, okay, Acts 2, you know, they, they're filled with the Spirit, and do they go out lengthening people's legs? Or no, they, Peter preaches the gospel, and then at the end of it, they say, uh, it, the, the text says that they were cut to the heart and asked Peter, brothers, what must we do to be saved? That is the result of the pouring out of the Spirit of God, is people repenting and crying out how they could be saved, not, I think I felt something in my armpit. So here's some more Heidi Baker now. It's weird, man. Learning the language of Holy Spirit is like learning the language of this world. But now think about how you learn a language. The way you learn a language is you become childlike. You listen. You're not afraid to make mistakes. If you're arrogant and you're proud, you can't learn a language well. Because you're, you're too afraid to make a mistake. But if you're childlike and you're not afraid to humble yourself and become like a little child, you'll learn a language. It's the same kind of process learning Holy Spirit's language. And you're about to hear what that language now sounds like. So apparently this is what the Holy Spirit learning the language of the Spirit sounds like. Legacy! Legacy! I mean, in this century, where's she go? She was screaming and rolling. Place it on another one's head. Fire. Legacy. Legacy. Greatest thing you've ever seen. But I knew it was God. I didn't know what it was. But I knew it was God. I didn't know what it was. And he says, I have never seen anything that violent before. And he still hasn't seen anything that violent. And he says, I have never seen anything that violent before, and he still hasn't seen anything that violent. I've watched God take people and flip them three, four rows back, um, doing back flip flips they can't do. I watched the most timid girl, um, Jose, Pastor Jose's wife, uh, Linda. She's this little tiny, petite little woman, and she was totally shy and freaked out. She would never speak in front of a crowd and we were having this um, advance for our leaders and she was there and she's always sitting in the corner and she was quiet and and very kind of afraid of everything and I watched Holy Spirit just slam down on her and she started rolling like a burning log she just started rolling holy roller I mean in this century her scouts just rolling She was screaming and rolling, and it was so powerful, and nobody wanted to stop her, even though it looked so bizarre. We were like, God's doing something. He's on her. So there you have more of Heidi Baker talking about what it looks like to experience the Spirit, to be able to learn the language of Holy Spirit, and what you're seeing is that her learning the language of Holy Spirit is... Nothing to do with the Spirit. Nothing to do with the way the Bible talks about the Spirit. Instead, it's people being thrown, falling down on the floor, screaming, laughing, crying, um, saying weird things, um, saying words that have no basis in language. It's just 
chaos is what it throws people into. It it's it's not a move of the spirit. It's not learning um, the spirit because the the spirit, as the Bible calls the spirit, is the spirit of Christ, which makes much of Christ, and this just makes much of some false spirituality. Well, that, some, oh sorry, go ahead. No, no. Go. Well, I was just gonna say it takes us back to the first one where we talked about how there's this false understanding that the more weird it is and the more crazy it is then that's a move of the spirit and so and i was just i have my bible open here and i was just reading in first corinthians 14 but it's kind of ironic how i mean this is obviously this is not inspired but the heading that they have in the esv bible for first corinthians 14 starting in verse 26 is orderly worship (laughs) and so i believe that that's what first Corinthians 14 lays out is that our worship is to be orderly. And once again, this movement leaves behind the word of God and actually says that the complete opposite is true. Just as that's, that's a theme that we've seen in these clips is that whatever the Bible says, they say that the opposite is actually true, you know, that, um, and that the more crazy it is, well, that's, we have to learn the language of Holy spirit they don't use the, they just say Holy Spirit, and that it's actually the more crazy it is, a little girl being slammed, quote unquote, to the ground and rolling around as if she's on fire, people doing backflips down four rows, people being thrown, people being tossed. It's the most violent thing I've ever seen. Uh, people are on fire. I mean, so basically, as long as it's super crazy, then the Holy Spirit's moving. Yeah. But if you're just standing there worshiping God and you're walking in righteousness and you're um, spreading the gospel of grace and faith in Christ to people, then you're actually dead and you don't have the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know, it's 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 the opposite of what the Bible teaches. Uh, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is bringing us love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I mean, does that sound like self-control? Does that sound like sober-minded where she can't even get off the ground? She can't speak. She can't talk. She can't even laugh, right? It sounds fake. The laughter sounds fake to me, but I think there is a demonic presence to where there is something happening. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's the, the the complete opposite of sober-mindedness, the complete opposite of self-control. I mean, there's all of that is just different than what the Bible says. And once again, the Bible is taken and thrown out the window and we go by this, in my opinion, demonic experience that's going on. And we say that that's the truth. And that's exactly the reason why God gives us these things and says, judge by this, judge by these standards, because this stuff is going to come in and you're going to want to go by your experience. We are fleshly creatures. We have a a body of flesh. We have a physical body. And God knows that we're going to want to judge things by the physical. We're going to want to judge things by the flesh. And so he tells us, Hey, when these things happen, make sure that you know it's false. You know it's fake because I've given you a standard to compare it to. And it doesn't, none of it holds up to that standard. Not a single thing we've listened to, not a single thing we've heard today holds up to the standard of the Bible. And yet we let go of the Bible and cling to that, even though God warned us about it. You know, so it's just once again taking the opposite of Scripture, saying that that's what's true and somehow trying to mangle whatever scripture they can to make it fit in to what they're doing. 
Thanks for listening into part three of our series on the NAR. You can check out the last half of part three next week as we finish off our discussion of the NAR and play for you some of its leading proponents. Until next time, guys, go turn the world upside down. Confess, live, proclaim. This is the Warcast.